This was AgriTalk a quarter century ago. I'm Ken Root. I hosted the show from its inception in August of 1994 to the spring of 2001. They were very interesting years in agriculture, in politics, in cultural changes, in just about everything, including indiscretion at the highest level. Every Monday, AgriTalk's 10 o'clock hour devoted the show to a psychologist, a rural psychologist, Dr. Val Farmer. And here in 2023, in January, I have called up Dr. Val again and asked him if he would be on with me to reminisce about the show and also bring us up to date of where he is today, what he's doing, and I think you'll be pleased in all of those areas. Good morning, Val. How are you? Good morning to you, Ken. It's great to hear your voice and to connect in this special way. It is uh, a major technology leap since we finished AgriTalk, although we were kind of leading edge at the time. Dr. Val, where are you now and uh, what are you up to? Well, I am in Wildwood, Missouri, which is a western uh, suburb of St. Louis, uh, about 26 miles to the west, but it's a uh, uh, more or less uh, urban area or metro St. Louis. Uh, I enjoy the climate. Uh, I hope my Fargo listeners won't be too offended, but uh, this is much better than uh, where I used to live. And the Dakotas were always interesting, uh, but generally cold in the winter. So I, I love the I love the falls and I love the springs uh, here in Missouri. And it's four seasons and generally delightful. Uh, Well, you were in uh, Rapid City when we first started with you, and then you moved to the uh, suburban area of Fargo, which I thought was kind of funny when you said, oh, it's much closer to everything, but it's not called Fargo for nothing. Uh, (laughs) It is uh, in the North Country. You and Darlene, your wife, made a missionary pilgrimage, didn't you, to Mongolia? Yes, uh, uh, when we when we moved from Fargo in uh, 2006 to uh, St. Louis area, we stopped. I stopped my clinical practice. I was practicing seeing people in addition to my writing and agritalk work. <laughs> Even though that stopped a little sooner, I made a transition where I would just be writing my column from Missouri, and my newspaper columns were mainly in the upper Midwest and in the lower Midwest. It was uh, pretty much evenly spread across the rural America, uh, the main farm belt country. When I got to uh, St. Louis, uh, I didn't lose anything in terms of readership. And so I could operate here, down here. And then about 2012, I decided to stop, or we decided to stop the newspaper column and do some service, missionary service. And so we volunteered to be missionaries for two years in Mongolia, and uh, that was quite an experience. Uh, our daughter had previously served a mission, a two-year mission in, for our church in Mongolia and from 1998 to 2000, so we, we were already in love with the country. Believe it or not, in 1994-95, we had a Russian-speaking foreign exchange student in our home from Latvia. So my wife started learning Russian, and she's 
continued to learn Russian ever since. We were more interested in serving in Russia, but there wasn't a need for us in Russia. And Mongolia uh, was a secret uh, kind of desire we didn't even express or didn't consider. And when, when the church offered us Mongolia, we jumped at it. And uh, her Russian language came in handy in Mongolia because up until 1991, uh, Russian was the second language of Mongolia. So we could actually be pretty effective in Mongolia, even though we, we and practically nobody else speaks uh, other than Mongolian speak Mongolian. Well, it is an interesting uh, extension of your life. and. Uh... I have to say, for those of you who are listening to this who never heard AgriTalk, Dr. Farmer was famous, if you will, for the fact that he was a writer for publications all across the country. That's how we found you, in that we were trying to have some regular guests, and we decided that since AgriTalk was a rural affairs show, we should have someone who would be able to already relate to people. So we kind of hooked onto your coattails and brought you in. And you were the first show that we did on a Monday that was the beginning of August of 1994. And if I remember right, you had talked to us that you wanted to do a show on death and dying in rural America. Is that your memory as well as mine? <laughs> My memory isn't as good as yours, and I, I can't believe I picked that as a topic. <laughs> but uh, the, the dying of rural America more or less has to do with the the economy uh, and the demographics of rural America kind of working against uh, people, except for farmers and ranchers uh, and Main Street businesses that kind of held their own. But but uh, rural America was becoming impoverished. I, I, I know I wrote extensively on grief and dying and coping and yeah. and all all of that. But I can't believe I picked actual dying as a topic for the first show. As I recall, Val, just like you did all the way through our shows, you would come up with a topic that Rustin Hamilton, the producer, and Mark Vale, the executive producer, would go what. And then you would explain that, and then we would buy into it, and then you would prove that you were right. And I recall in that program, this was about grieving, really, and it was about death and families. And you said, grief is like a tunnel. You go in, and you do not know how long you're going to be there. And eventually, we hope, you will come out the other end of that tunnel after the loss of that loved one. And a woman called in about 15 minutes later. I think that was the first caller we ever got on AgriTalk, or she was one of the first. And she said, I miss my husband. And she was teary, and you masterfully took over that conversation, and you started talking to her. And she was talking about his death and all these things. And you said, well, how long ago did he die? And she said, 14 years ago. Wow. And uh, you looked up at us like, I told you this was how it goes. And it was just amazing how that you had a pulse 
on rural America and in those areas, as well as several others. I'd let you comment on that. Why is it that in rural America, we have the same issues, but they're treated differently? Is it because of the fact that, as you once said, you're never anonymous in rural America? Ken, one of the things that I I learned right away in in writing for rural people is that uh, even though there was a great need in uh, 1984 when I started my column, uh, the great need was the rural crisis was basically uh, underground and and, uh, people were suffering individually from it and they didn't see it as a systems problem. And then in Iowa, uh, Iowa was the center of the agricultural universe, I think. Uh, when Iowa started to believe it was a systems problem, instead of individual farmers uh, having poor management, the, the whole thing uh, changed. And, and my voice or my writing voice uh, was validating uh, the experiences of rural people being different and uh and they needed that message or, or uh picture of reality coming back to them that it, it what was going on in other places was was true for them and what was true for them was true generally and they stopped judging themselves and started uh being more proactive and not blaming themselves yeah. We went through that period of time, you know, not too long before AgriTalk, very fresh on people's mind, where the, the farm crisis had people, in some cases, killing themselves. But in a lot of cases, from my layman's perspective, dropping into a very deep depression because they felt like their self-worth and their net worth were linked together. And every word of that I got from you. <laughs> well, that's right. And uh, interestingly enough, the, the peak for suicides in the Midwest was in the late 70s and early 80s, 81, 82, 83, before the farm crisis became public. And once it became public, the, the suicides dropped, the, the political activity and aggression towards bankers happened to pick up. And but that was pretty newsworthy for the general public. And so it became a, a widespread phenomenon. And, and my writing kind of fit right into that niche. And that, that got me, propelled me into a, a wonderful start. I also learned to understand and respect that uh, rural people have normal psychological and family lives and problems, just like everyone else. And, and I needed to, to have a diet of uh, normal uh, coping skills and ta- uh, topics and and other situations that would help the the audience resolve their uh, personal interpersonal difficulties or personal struggles. So that's where I got into it. And then, uh, Ken, uh, this is you. You really bring up a point. Around 1990 or 91, I started attending some grief support groups uh, because of, of mothers uh, losing their children. And, and, and it just gave me a, a raw perspective of the intensity of the grief and what people need to go through, the process of what people need to go through 
to to uh, help them gain their equilibrium back and to function uh, with hope and and uh, purpose again. I may have veered off, and that oh, can exactly that gave me great insight into the grieving process of farmers and ranchers losing their farms and and what a uh, psychological, uh, personal, emotional blow that was. And you got me going. My background as a clinical psychologist and seeing people in uh, uh, coming in for help and my ability to listen or process their their pain and, and understand them helped me be a better interviewer to really stay with people, even though they were emotional or grieving, and help them verbalize what they needed to say. And so I think that translated into my being able to uh, listen to a caller, uh, your first caller, uh, because of my clinical skills. So it all kind of fit together. And this is where I discovered radio. <laughs> radio was the on, the other media that I hadn't even considered. Um, you know, I thought people need to read it and process it and go over it and they can learn and grow and I found out that radio is the motivator for people doing something and actually taking action. They hear an idea and they 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 get hope and they start to to do to do things differently. It it makes a difference to hear it uh, or hear a, a human story being told uh, rather than than a kind of a dry. This is how you do it on piece of paper. So I learned about your world and how powerful it was and. And there was also a, a separate audience of uh, uh, people working uh, with their tractors and, and other farm equipment listening to the radio as their their companion during the day. Some farm women also listened to the radio, and so it, it triggered dialogue between husbands and wives about their, their lifestyle and issues. The person who is speaking is Dr. Val Farmer. He is a clinical psychologist, and he was with us all the way through my period of AgriTalk, seven years. Val, we were caller-driven. I don't know if it was intentional or not. Uh, I'll have to inquire of Mark Vale and Rustin Hamilton, Rich Hall, to see if it was. But what the goal was is to get rural people to talk about issues that impact their lives. And I think the beauty of you being on the radio with us was the voice that you just had, that you're sympathetic and that you are clinical. So when people called in, you know, rather than me, this big mouth talk show host, it was you, this learned professorial person, if you will. And I think they opened up to you quite a lot. But the thing about callers was we never knew what they were going to say. And we never knew if they were going to take us some other direction on the show. We had a call screener that would basically get their first name and the state they were from. And then they would get a few sentences of what they wanted to talk about. And we could put up five at a time. And uh, rarely did we have five callers on until late in the show a few times. And then we would we would pick those. What we had were some really interesting people. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to give you a couple of shows that I remember because there's a humor factor here as well. But some observations that I made was that 
one time you said, I want to talk about affairs and divorces in rural America on a show. And another one, you said, I think we need to talk about the landlord-tenant relationship on the show. Well, I didn't think anybody would call in on this affairs and divorces because, you know, even though we were anonymous to the point of first name and state, when you hear your neighbor on the radio, you know who they are. And these people would call in, and I was shocked, Val, at what they would tell us. I recall a woman who said that this farmer down the road loved her, and she had his baby, but he didn't leave his wife to marry her, and she didn't understand why. And another lady called in and said that she wanted to have an affair. And you went, oh, oh, no, you shouldn't do that. And so you started talking to her, and I said, wait a minute, Val. Ma'am, do you think your husband's having an affair? Yes, I do. And she just jumped all over that one. And we had a kind of privately had a big laugh over it. And we got through that show. I'll give you a chance to talk in a minute. We got through that show with a huge number of people who wanted to talk and quite a lot that we got on. And you handled them well. And then we did the one on landlord-tenant relationships. Guess how many callers, Val, we got on that show? Either one or a hundred. I don't know. We got zero. Oh, okay. There's some things you just don't talk about. There's some things in rural America that are so sacred. You do not talk about them. People were smart enough to realize if they called up and blasted that landlord or even said anything mildly derogatory, the neighbors who wanted to rent that land would be calling that landlord and telling him or her what their current renter just said, and they'd lose that farm. I thought that was as revealing as anything. I uh, had to disguise my anything that I learned in my clinical practice with rural people, and I and the topics were really uh, generic and and great to to write about. But I had to disguise factual data and states and and uh and if i quoted someone there was never their real name or anything about it because i learned that there is no anonymity in rural america in fact i i went to an agri an alcoholics anonymous convention i was uh, one of the speakers i guess and and i learned that uh there's statistics that if you come from a rural community of 5000 or less there is no anonymity, and if you're, and I know personally from having lived in Mitchell and here in South Dakota, uh, that if you if it's a community of fourteen or fifteen thousand, uh, the lack of anonymity catches up to the shrink that's in town because everybody knows too much about his counseling. Not because he violates confidential, he or she violates confidentiality, but but because the people that get the uh, counseling tell their story to others and tell what the, the therapist said, and or they tell their version of what they heard, or they tell their side of it and disparage the therapist for for not uh, understanding or backing them or something, and and so you become ineffective in the town that you actually live in. That nobody wants to see you. 
and that rural people uh, would rather travel 120 miles to Sioux Falls to see someone anonymously than to see someone locally that has a, a somewhat of a, a regional or national reputation. <laughs> Well, you're Mormon, but if you ask a Catholic if they go to confession at the local church or whether they go somewhere else, you'll find a lot of Catholics will go where they're anonymous before they will go to a priest to confess. I never thought of it that way, but that's true. Um, There's a lot of truisms of people in, in rural America, and sometimes it's hard to get them to open up about it. But if you can get them to get past their fear of, you know, the neighbors finding out, it was really amazing what that they had to say. And your shows were not necessarily unique in that regard. We had a number of others that would happen, but you were just a regular and stayed a regular the whole time during those seven years that I was there. I have an emotional memory of of talking to some people, some callers, as if they were in my clinical office, and it was it was riveting and tear jerking and and powerful what was going on, and I knew it, but it was real between that caller and myself. I mean, that's a global impression of of what I remember is uh, mm-hmm. uh, actually people suspend their disbelief about this not being anonymous. You can really help them. Uh, by listening to them. And and radio was another way of uh, people um, on my end listening to somebody that needed help. And so I think there was real help. And then the other other thing that I remember a lot was uh, people uh, talking to me or writing to me uh, thank you notes, and they were both readers and listeners uh, reading my column and listening to AgriTalk, but they would write in and say, you know, you're not telling us much of anything new. These are things that we already know. But if we tried to say it, or if somebody tried to say it locally, they would be disparaged and it it wouldn't go anywhere. Because we heard it on AgriTalk or because we read it in your column, it became a valid topic for everybody in this rural community, and they could talk about it as if it weren't personal, and they could actually um, uh, think through and solve problems better. So uh, it was a a revelation to me how media can help people. (laughs) I was blown away by the the notes and the letters and the thank you notes and and, and how how people use this as a vehicle for improving their marriages or solving marriage problems. Oh, and best of all, Ken, it was their husbands that were reading it or listening to it on their tractors that would come home and bring up this topic with them, with their wives. The wives were the true believers. and Boy, did they have an engaged partner at yep. that point. And they loved it coming from their husbands when it, when it, when it was from some valid source other than themselves or or uh, anybody local. Well, I think that was an unknown strength that we rarely could, you know, validate specifically as well as you have just done. We hit a topic, we were on for 38 minutes during an hour, and then we were gone. But for many people, they told me in the years after, they made it a point to listen to that show 
some stations even ran it twice during the day and they would try to catch it one of the two times or perhaps both if they were stuck in a tractor or something. But I do think that your part of this was probably as much of making this a rural issues show than any of the other kinds of shows that we did. We did a lot on, you know, production agriculture. We did a lot of shows on specifics and uniqueness of people in rural America, but yours really focused on issues every time, and you had the body of work to pull that from. I have now gone back to these old AgriTalk shows, and this is the beginning of a series called AgriTalk, the Root Years, 1994 to 2001. And each week, I'm going to try to link up with people of the past or take a show of the past and link it to the present and be able to redo that to give people kind of a then and now perspective. And I understand you're also going to your archived articles and getting them ready for republication. Uh, That's true, Ken, and and it's it's exactly the point. Uh, Even though I'm older and I'm uh, retired or or, uh, mostly retired, I feel that the all of the written things that I have, and, and you have the radio archives, but uh, are going to be lost, and 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 somehow my my books or or the or even my website is disappearing because I no longer have a public presence, and and it'll and people have to relearn all this stuff, and I've I've got an archive that I think is valuable, and I'd love to have people find it again and not not to monetize it or anything just to just to make sure that it's there's a permanent record of of uh problems that have been perennial or uh evergreen columns always there no matter what and the the answers are still there but nobody everybody's going to have to reinvent how they go find them so i don't i don't like the fact that my work is going to disappear when it's already I think pretty darn good. <laughs> well, it doesn't have to, but it will take your effort. And in some cases, you know, Val, you and I are both uh, 70, 80 here. We are becoming irrelevant to a younger generation. I can't walk in their shoes. I can't understand why they are who they are today. And uh, there's a huge difference in young people today, even if they live in rural America, than there was when. I was young, or when we were doing AgriTalk 25 years ago. So your material, I think, is valid, and I think AgriTalk is as well, if they choose to dig into it. But they almost have to be a historical scholar to want to go back to something like that when there is so much media in the moment that they could either be listening to, reading, or watching on video. Well, that's true. The, the the podcasts are really powerful, and I I spend some of my day looking at them because they they're immediate and they're and they're great. But I also believe that uh, rural America is basically family oriented, uh, Christian, uh, has basic values and and conservative, and and my writing mirrored that. It was a natural for me, and the audience loved it, and and they they still love it, and they the current political trends or or 
ideas that are out there don't resonate in rural America and, and they 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 are trying to hold on to their values, but the, the media uh, doesn't support what they their their line of thinking. And so I I think there the, there is value in holding on and especially rural America is going to be the bulwark of America, uh, of America someday, uh, maybe soon, in terms of defending the values that made this country great. Al, do you mind sharing your email address? No, I don't. Uh, I don't mind sharing it at all. It's uh, drv, for Val, farmer, at gmail.com, all small letters. So it's drv, farmer at gmail.com podcast audiences are small in general because there are a million podcasts and i'm not exaggerating there are a million different podcasters that are putting material out right now when we were doing agritalk and you were writing your column there were a certain small number of radio stations and a small number of uh, publications coming from newspapers uh, now it's totally reversed. Everybody can print and everybody can podcast. One one thing that I thought about now is that if if I were writing for the general public in the United States right now, I would be canceled because my views are somehow radical and extremist. Where where actually they were bedrock and mainstream professional career took place at an optimal time for me as a person where. People liked and loved what I was doing and not fighting it or hating it. We'll never cancel you, and we'll never consider you a person who spoke anything but the the truth in a scholarly manner and for the good of the people you gave it to. Dr. Val Farmer, thank you for being with us. It's great to talk to you again. Well, same here, Ken. I, I forgot how much energy I got from doing this. It's it's a pleasure to, to be back in the saddle again, even for a, a few uh, brief uh, minutes with you. Maybe you ought to go walk around the block a few times before yeah. you accost Darlene <laughs> with all that you've talked about here. Yeah. All right. Take care, Thank sir. You. Thank, Thank you, you for inviting me.